Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One. My guest today is none other than. Arizona ghostwriter Santi. And if you remember, that name does sound familiar. It's because it was in the very first episode of this podcast. And wow. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> and uh, for those who haven't see, seen or listened rather to the first pod episode, could you tell me a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Reintroduce sure, us. Well, some, uh, some folks would call us reenactors. Other folks would call us living historians. And uh, I like to call what we do more like entertainment, more, more in the gunfight show kind of thing. Because a reenactor is someone who basically reenacts an actual event that happened. And we don't always do that. You know, sometimes we do skits or, uh, or shows that are based on things that may have happened in the Old West, but didn't actually happen. So uh, we started Arizona Ghostwriters back in 2006. Uh, most of us came from other gu- uh, gunfighting groups, and we all came together and formed the group. And what made you start a YouTube channel? Because it's really an interesting channel, and, and you go in depth of certain Western clothing, you go in depth on movies, how accurate they are, and how how should to dress the part and, and more. So if you want to check, is it that interesting? Definitely check out the channel. I will link it down below. So tell me a little bit about this. What made you start the YouTube channel? You know, probably about four years ago, uh, I said to my wife, I said, look, you know, I don't have anything to do in the mornings before I go to work. She's a teacher, so she's up really early. And my job doesn't start till 10 a.m. So I have nothing to do in four hours. So um, I decided to start the YouTube channel because I thought, hey, this would be a good way for me to do, uh, get better at making video and also get some information out there because I didn't know that anybody was actually doing what, what I do. So I thought, well, I'll give it a shot and see what happens. And, uh, you know, it's sort of kind of morphed into this whole education thing. And I think originally it was really just more about um, the reenactor stuff. Now it's now it's gotten more into the history of right. everything. So it's kind of neat. So that's kind of how it got started. And um, uh, yeah, that's that's the major uh, to gold rush. So you, do you consider the gold rush part of the Wild West or do you think it's sort of the beginning of the Wild West. Yeah, you, you know, you're, you're right. It is kind of like the beginning of the Wild West. So, you know, what happens is we're, we're coming out of the Mexican-American War and California is, is populated by a little bit of everybody. Mostly, mostly Mexicans are populating California and um, they wanted to make it a state. You know, the, they basically had decided that it was going to be a state in America and um, it was in this process of, of becoming a territory or I think actually it went right from being annexed to 
to a territory to a state right after but either way so it's kind of like still sort of owned by mexico still sort of owned by america um united states and and anyway everybody's just living there and this guy comes along and i can't remember his name unfortunately and he finds uh finds gold in a place called sutter's mill which is up near san francisco right and this and, was in um, 1848 right? this is 1848 right in 1848 he finds it and uh it becomes well known at that point and not only regionally but internationally the word gets out because at that point we started having newspapers and telegraph systems and things like that so information was getting out to everybody so we had people from everywhere china norway uh, europe maybe even you know northern africa coming coming here to check it out see what's going on but uh but then the guy that found the gold wanted to keep it a secret first and then because he wanted it all to himself isn't that also yeah that yeah I'm, i'm sure he did but so <laughs> i'm sure he probably did want it all himself but um there wasn't any law to speak of back then and because this is kind of a new thing even though it wasn't really new there were there had been gold rushes there weren't any laws in place because it wasn't really a territory there were no laws so they instead they they kind of came up with a set of rules sort of like in pirates of the caribbean they're they're you know more guidelines you know so it was sort of like hey um i'm going to claim this area over here this is 10 feet and i think it was about 10 feet back then you could claim about 10 feet people think these claims were like hundreds and hundreds of acres no they were small they were probably not much bigger than your bedroom so That was your claim. You could put a little tent on it, you know, and that was your area and you could stake it and uh, you were responsible for protecting it and and mining it. I don't, and again, I don't remember his name, but I just literally before we started this video, watched something about a guy that actually didn't get rich by mining, but he got rich by, by selling shovels. Uh, the first guy, you mean? Pardon? The first guy that found gold at Sutter's Mill? And I don't think it was him, but it was some some guy that figured out I can di- distribute, I can help with the distribution of shovels, and then he got rich by selling shovels. Hmm. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, what what went down to claim? What was? How did you claim a territory if you found if you wanted to mine gold or find gold in the rivers, etc.? Well, basic basically because there was probably a mining office in a boom town that you could go to later on. But early on, it was more of a, um, it was literally more of a handshake, you know, and, and it was a, everybody was trying to do their own thing. And there were claim jumpers back then, but for the most part, if if you were there and you had a mine right next to mine, if you had a claim rather right next to my claim, then I would, uh, I would respect your claim and you would respect my claim because for the most part, everybody was in, um, was responsible for their own law. And I probably had a gun. I probably had a gun and I had a knife. I may have had two guns and you probably had guns too. So the the incentive is that you're not going to come over to my place and try to steal my gold because I'm going to shoot you. So it was sort of a respect thing, I think that happened back then. Right. But uh, what this was considered the birth of boom towns is not correct, and it's it is, yeah. what it would become known as boom towns. So how did that happen? How did the boom towns come, come across to? Well, so 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 you've got this information getting out there, right? Hey, gold is being found. 
gold at that point was basically um, $20 an ounce. Is it, am I right? Uh, it was it, 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 back then it was a lot of money. When you consider that most people back then were probably making a dollar or so a day, if you made, if you found an ounce of gold, you were doing good. So, um, and most people were pulling that much out. So let's say that, that uh, I'm an East Coast, I run a general store in the East Coast. You know, and I think to myself, well, geez, I'm not making much money, but if I go out West, those guys are going to buy my shovels and my picks and uh, my lanterns. They're going to buy all that stuff from me. I should just pack up and move it out there. And that's what people did. And so what ended up happening is you built this town up around near the mining claim, plenty of water. Um, and you had, you had, you provided them the resources they needed in order to exist. Cause you know, you could break a pick, you could break a uh, a shovel pretty easily. Where would you go get it fixed? Well, right. it would stand a reason you'd have a blacksmith, right? You'd have a livery, you'd have hotels for people coming out to visit or stay there if they didn't want to sleep in their tents. Um, and because they were the only town, you could charge whatever you wanted and people would pay it because, hey, if I pull out $200 worth of gold and you say, well, you know what? I'll sell you that shirt, but that shirt's going to be 40 bucks. Okay. <laughs> because right. you needed a shirt and it was the only place to get it and you had 40 bucks and uh, of course there's, you can see the boom towns in movies such as Sweetwater in Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood as we mentioned that there they build boom towns so that's a great example of how I think at least how boom town is but but there was a big risk going from, let's say, New York to California. And uh, what was, what, how was, how would one, well, it wasn't a sure thing. So tell me a little bit about the gamble of going from New York to California just to see if you could possibly find gold. Oh, well, I think, I think the word that was getting out was that you were just picking it up off the ground. And literally, I think that to some extent, that was probably true. I'm not saying that you could just walk down the street and just find a bunch of gold, but I think people didn't have to do that much work because it hadn't been mined in that area before. And they even say nowadays that they only pulled about 10% of the possible gold in that area out during the gold rush. So I think what happened is it just probably became too difficult to pull out with the technology they had back then. Um, but if you understand how panning goes and um, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the mining. It's right on the tip of my tongue. But um, basically, you would set yourself up near a stream and you would sift in your pan. You would sift, you'd take a bunch of sand and you sift it in there till the black sand is only what's left. And the black sand was the heavier sand. And in that was the gold. And that's where you found it. So the theory is, is that you weren't sitting there going poor. You were finding gold every day. How much? I don't know. But I would imagine that most people found at least enough to, to live off of. And many others obviously became very rich. Uh, what happened to those who did not succeed? What, what became of those that took the risk of going from, from let's say, New York to California and well, did so not succeed? It's interesting. So... Um, we talked about this a little while ago, but I had two great, great grandfathers uh, who went out to the gold fields. Uh, of course, at that time, they didn't know each other, but uh, um, 
one of them came back to Indiana. He lived in Indiana. He went out. He found gold. He found apparently enough gold to actually start a bank, came back to Indiana and started a bank. The other grandfather did not strike it rich. He probably, you know, he left his, both these people. This is another weird thing about the gold rush. You could sit there and go to your family and say, hey, dear, um, love you and the kids, but I'm going to go out and find gold. I'll be back in three years, you know, and they gave themselves basically a time limit, right, to go out there. I don't know if it was three years. I made that up, but um, they would go out and if they were successful, they would come back rich people. If they weren't successful, then they would just come back and live their lives. I assume some people probably stayed in California and uh, some people actually followed to the next boomtown, whatever that was. You know, there were a lot of boom towns in the West. You mentioned Alaska. Alaska's towards the end of the era, but Alaska was the next really, really big boom town. Right. So you also had Idaho, you had Tombstone, Arizona, you had Deadwood, South Dakota, um, some places in Montana, I'm sure. A bunch of little little places all over the place had uh, had boom towns and and in your mind, what's more famous the California Gold Rush or the Yukon Gold Rush? What do you think is more famous? Of, uh... I think the California Gold Rush is the most famous because it was one of the first. I mean, it really set the it set the pace. Uh, the Alaskan Gold Rush, I think they probably, I could be wrong, but I think they pulled more gold out of that than they did in the San Francisco one. Right. Also, you have to consider that that was 50 years later. So technology, mining technology had gotten better by then. But uh, yeah, what was life like if, for, for a miner in uh, who worked for the big guy who found the mine and found the gold? What was it like living as a low-paying miner and mine? Actually, they weren't as low-paying as you thought. Actually, being a miner was really not a bad job at all. It paid pretty well. The problem was there was a serious amount of danger involved. You know, cave-ins were constant. Um, you could... Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of ways to, to test to see if you were breathing in noxious gas, uh, except for birds and things like that. But for the most part, people, people died on that job much more than sitting behind a desk doing bookkeeping. You know, a lot, a lot of people died. It was a heavy labor job and you got paid pretty well for it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious, is there an boomtown that bloomed through the California gold rush that you just see today that still, that wasn't abounding into Jovestown or is there, is there any of those left? Like, you know, like Las Vegas is obviously a boomtown, but like in California from the gold rush. I'm well, the Comstock, in Nevada, there's the Comstock load in Virginia City, um, which you would probably know from the TV show Bonanza. That took place in Virginia City, and that was where uh, Hirsch had his Comstock load. That was a big one, but that was also a, a big corporation one. Um, there are plenty of little boom towns that are still dotted on the map out there. Um, I believe Bodie, Bodie, California, is one of those little tiny boom towns, and that's in Northern California as well. But there's still a really, really great ghost town there. If anybody ever goes, they should check it out. I've only seen pictures. I need to check it out. It looks amazing. Just all these structures are still there. Wow. So you should do an episode on that one time. What's that? You should do an episode on that I one should. time. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I was going to show you that here is actually some gold. Uh, I didn't find this gold. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. I'm trying not to get yeah, the, I see it. Yeah. These are little tiny gold nuggets. These are the kinds of things that people would pan and find. Now back, this is probably not, not even $30 worth of gold, 
but back then um that would probably be enough to buy you a steak dinner so mm. well it is today too i guess isn't it well, yeah but do you know anyway. how much do you know how much that average daily fine would be for drills you know, I don't, I looked that up. I couldn't find an answer for you on the average daily find, but I would imagine that it depended on your claim. Um, if you hit an, a, a, a vein of ore, and a vein is basically, uh, I'm not a geologist, so bear with me, but if you see a, a wall of, or they would dig holes too, so they would dig holes and go down. If you would see a wall of quartz or black sand, that was a better way of finding this gold, it was a more of a chance that if you followed that, you would find the gold. And so if you found a lot of it in one day, that would be terrific. The next day you might not find any. So I'm not really sure what the daily take was. But I do know that San Francisco um, was, you know, really sprouting up at that point. And, and that whole area, uh, there was definitely gold being found because people were becoming rich off of the businesses they ran in the boom towns, which means there had to be gold, lots of it. And speaking of the boom towns, I want to go back to the doubts a little bit now because there, in the beginning, there wasn't much law on lawmen at the time. So what was it like before the law came and they started with rearranging law and sheriffs and officers in these boom towns? Was it chaotic so, or was it, was it not so safe at all? Did they have rules? Right, they had rules. Um, they, they early on, up until California became a state, which was 1850, so that was only two years after the, the Sutter's Mill got established in 1850, California becomes a state. However, all the people that lived, all the citizens were not really happy because even though it became a state, they weren't really enforcing any kind of law for criminals. So a lot of the miners were taking it upon themselves. Like I mentioned earlier, um, if you jump on my claim and you try to steal my stuff, I have every right to shoot you and nobody's going to stop me. Um, if, you, if you come into my claim as a bandit and you shoot me and kill me, well then maybe my next door neighbor is gonna string you up from a tree. You know, it's, that's, that was the law they had. In the boom towns, they did have a police presence, but apparently um, there wasn't enough or it wasn't really enforced. So a lot, of, a lot of the citizens were getting up in arms about the fact that there was no law. And that came out in probably 1852. Um, 1851, there was a thing called a vigilance committee. Do you know what vigilantes are? Yeah, yeah. Vigilante justice, right? So then in San Francisco, they had a vigilance committee just because of this kind of thing. There just wasn't enough law. And the vigilance committee was essentially doing what I told you. They're, they're going out and they were hanging people. Uh, they were shooting people. They were maiming people that were doing wrong. And they abolished that like a year later. I don't think it lasted very long. They said, look, we, need, we just need to get some police officers out here. This is, this is ridiculous. Right. And something you can see about, it's briefly just a short, one short, I wouldn't say clip, but like a short story in the new Cone Brothers movie, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You see, see, see that the vigilantes came, there was this old man, and I think it's a beautiful short story. About the old man that, uh, that comes with a dog and then he finds gold, but it doesn't go well for him. I'll find you tomorrow, Mr. Pocket. You're right, yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic move and it's a fantastic... Uh, if, you're, if you're interested in f finding out about a little more, it's, I would highly recommend checking it out because it's, it's a great movie. Even if it's just for that one scene, it's, uh, it's dark, it's... Uh, 
it's it's sort of real make you realize that it wasn't always easy. It's not like you right. said like I have guns, I shoot you. Right. So you know the interesting thing about that one is that this this old guy knew this old miner knew there was more, and because he he was reading all the signs. And if you know, you remember he was sifting through and he was finding gold and it wasn't big enough, so he's throwing it back. Right. <laughs> because he knew there was more. Each thing he pulled out of the ground was probably a day's wage or a couple days wage or something, but he knew there was more. And he started digging because he was looking for the vein of gold, you know, and uh, eventually he found it. And uh, that was, that was a weird one because he didn't, there was no evidence that he actually laid claim to that land. It just, he just showed up on it. So I'm not really sure what the idea was behind that. I don't think they were trying to to tell us that he actually had a claim. I think they were telling us he was just. I think he was gold. looking and was going to make a claim eventually, go back to town and claim it after he found the gold. Probably, yeah. That's yeah. my that's my thought on it. Right. Yeah, uh, but I just need to see my notes here, and do forgive me, my writing is that of a five-year-old. As I mentioned in the previous episode, but uh, yeah, we talked about claiming a mine, and uh, I think this, what what was the for not to be confused with the football team, but what was the 49ers as they called themselves back in those days? We well, you know it's interesting is that they the uh, the it started Again, not to be confused with the football team 49ers, right? But, yeah, that well, that's what that's based on is the minor 49er, basically, uh, <laughs> that is a, a term for those people that lived out there at the time you know there was thousands of them from different nationalities and they were the minor 49ers you know that was basically what that came from and the 49er uh, football team i guess came up out of that right yeah i'm watching so yeah Yeah. that's a big part of their history i mean that's a big part of american history because if you think about the fact that back in the 1800s that i could write I could write my great grand, well, not my great grandfather. I could write my brother back in Russia and say, "Hey, come to America. There's gold here. We're going to become rich and live in a wonderful country." And you're my brother. Then you'd get on a boat and get your butt there as quick as you could. I mean, just think about all the people. There's a picture, and all of you should do this. Look up San Francisco Harbor during the gold rush. There are all these abandoned ships sitting in the harbor. Just all these sailing ships. Um, of people who just, that was their one-way ticket was to get to California. Boom, they got there. Now they're going to make their way in America, land of the free, home of the brave, lot of da 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 Donald Trump. Was it, this was before the Civil War, so I'm, I'm curious, was there a lot of slave labor during the, during the mine, mining days, or was there slave labor for mining, or was there? No, not that I know of. Um, so it was, uh, there were a lot of, Hispanic cultures that lived there. It was a big Hispanic culture in in California at the time. Um, there was also a lot of people from other countries. So I don't know. I don't think there was any his, any African Americans there. I think they were all basically on the East Coast. Um, now, having said that, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I don't know of any that were involved with slave labor during mining. Right. And we spoke briefly about this, but I want to get a little bit more in details, both in the mines and in the rivers. So what were some of the techniques, recovery techniques for mining gold? Well, so- I'm just curious about the miners because they have to be, 
Can, should they use dynamite or would that ruin the growth or did, should, did they have to use pickaxes so did they have to be careful in that sense okay so there's so there's two kinds of mining and i just remembered the word placer that's the word i was looking for placer the word looks like placer placer gold is the kind of gold that's sitting in the creek bed that you sift out with a pan right and that's placer gold that's basically pocket change um if you found on the side of a mountain that there was gold, there was a vein of gold going through there and you would dig a hole and basically you're making yourself a, a mine, right? Now, uh, the first guy with, with this guy is also a miner, you know, with the pan, but the prospector is the person who actually looks around and says, hey, I see gold on the ground. Let's start, let's start digging. At that point, that prospector becomes a miner. And that miner means that he can go into a, basically he's, he can do anything he wants. Uh, but it, it, I wanted to just sort of let everybody know that they're, even though you, you think that there's two different types of people, they're really the same guy. A prospector is really one who has the eye for it. He sees it and he knows that's where you start digging. And once he starts digging, he's a miner. Um, but the, you start digging in the side of a mountain, um, then yes, you can use dynamite, but the dynamite wasn't, you didn't worry about blowing up the gold because what happened is if you were going to blow something up, it was rock that you were going to go further into the tunnel with. Um, if you, all that stuff that got blown up was pulled out, otherwise it would block the way. Mm -hmm. And once it was pulled out, it was gone through. Everybody went through it to see, but by the way, is there any leftover gold here that he blew up? You know, they'd find it. I no. wasn't there. I think I don't think your daughter's saying right. Wasn't there saying that the don't stop mining because you could be one feet away from the growth yeah. or something? What's what's the saying again? I I don't remember quite. I don't remember the saying either. But but you're absolutely right in what you're. That's the whole idea. It's kind of like gambling, you know. Just put one more quarter in and and pull the jackpot and you'll win. Yeah. Just one more quarter, you're one foot away. So you can be one feet away from the. Big from the jackpot. Right from the jackpot. But I think what happens is eventually somebody looks at it and goes, okay, this isn't going anywhere. Um, there are mines all over Arizona here where people have dug and they go back thousands of feet. And you just sit there and go, geez, God. This... At what point did they decide they were going to give it up? But uh, probably their money ran out. Who knows? Maybe right. they got sick and died. It's hard to say. So you mentioned the how how far in did you go before you ran did you go before you ran out of gold in one mine? Oh, I I I don't think there is a how far you go. I think that they if you look at a lot of the mines, like in the the Cerro Gold Gordo mine in California, um, they ended up going in and then they also went down. In a lot of cases, and the Comstock load, I believe, in Virginia City is the same thing. It went in and then it went down um, because I guess they followed that vein of gold or that vein of quartz and it went down. Right. Um, or you're going to run out of mountain at some point, you know, mountains like that. At some point, you're going to come through the other side. So you might as well go down into the earth and see what you can find. And uh, I mentioned competition before, but I'm just curious was there any danger that one mine could come, come into comp competition's mine? Or was there no worries about that at all? No, there was definitely, there was definitely competitions. Yeah. But I think the mines, the competing mines could run into each other, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, 
don't think that they would have been that close, but there's always a chance that they would have, you know, eventually, that's pretty, pretty rare that you would see that. They'd have to be pretty close to each other. Most of the time when you had a big corporation out there, they pretty much bought out the whole mountain, you know? And um, yeah, uh, now I'm curious about today, because I suggest you on Discovery Channel and National Geographic, etc. there is re these reality shows and there is people still mining for gold today. And I'm curious, is it profitable at all or is it more, more a gamble today? Because you see on these reali reality shows that it is huge equipments worth probably hundred thousands of dollars. And is it profitable to mine or is it not that much anymore? Well, yeah, I think that's, I think that it still is a gamble. It's not one of those things where you're going to go out there in one summer and become so rich, you're going to be able to buy a football team. I don't think it's that at all. I think what happens is you may find some gold to pay off your expenses and also live on a salary as it were you know, pay your people and all that. But I don't know how profitable it is. You do have to buy those big machines. You're right. Um, you're not going to just look on the ground and find a nugget that's going to be worth a million dollars. You have to consider that gold right now is probably about, geez, I don't know, about $1,200 an ounce. That's a lot of money. And an, so, ounce, um, an ounce is is basically, if, if you've ever seen a... a a Morgan silver dollar or a silver dollar about that big or a gold have, coin that's, yeah. about that big. that's an ounce of gold, a Krugerrand, all of those things are an ounce of gold. So think about that being $1,200. So you'd have to find a lot of that in order to be rich. And you, you're right. You know, those big machines are hundreds of thousands of dollars, unless you're renting them, I guess, but that's still hugely expensive. Right. So and uh, with, I'm sure you've seen some of those episodes that I'm talking about. And uh, as it just is, it doesn't always work out the way to plan. No. And you know what's interesting about those is I always think, well, how are they doing this? And uh, some of them find other minerals, which is kind of interesting. So it's like, well, we didn't find gold, but we found um, rubies or, you know, uh, turquoise or something like that. Well, those are not as precious, but they're still they're semi-precious stones, so they probably could make some money off of that. Um, it's kind of interesting, but not a life I would want. Too much gamble. Yeah. Too much risk. It would be interesting to try, but I don't think I would be able to make a living of it. But it would be interesting to go and try one year to just see how it works. I tell you, one year I took out a, a bucket, a big Home Depot bucket, big orange bucket, five-gallon five bucket, and I went up to an area that was a ghost town and I just shoveled sand into it and brought it home. And then over the next couple of days, I sifted through it and, and panned it, nothing. Right. So <clears throat> that could have been my, you know, inability to do it because I'm, I don't know where to look as well as other people do. But uh, I wonder how often that happened where one whole day would go by and you'd realize, geez, I just got nothing, absolutely right. nothing. And uh, I think that brings to an end for this episode. And I'm just, do you have anything you, you wish to promote again? Or do you? Well, no, I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you watched the channel and I'm glad some of your viewers watched the channel and I hope you all learned something from it and uh, right. are entertained. And why don't you take us out again, like the first time? <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for watching. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe. And we see you all down the trail. Oh, come on, Erlen. <laughs>
Okay. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 